Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the same story, but from four different perspectives. They all revolve around the events and the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus had 12 main disciples, apostles, and John was one of the 12, and he focuses on the fact that Jesus was the Son of God, both literally, figuratively, and spiritually. John focuses on Jesus' deity, the supernatural nature of who Jesus actually was. So he starts his version with the beginning of the creation. Actually, he goes before that to point out Jesus' pre-existence as God himself before time and space. That's why John begins his version with those famous verses. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Anyone confused yet? Those are just the first two verses. And that was the King James English. Let's see if we can make any sense out of this from the New American Standard English translation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Hmm. No help there. Obviously, the phrase the word is personified here because it's not only capitalized, but it's addressed as he. And if you keep reading John's introduction, you find out what John means when he says the word. By the time you get to verse 14, it's a title that John's using to define Jesus Christ. Now, you might think, well, why didn't he just say that? Well, it's because John, in this context, is talking about Jesus before he became human. He wasn't given the title Son of God or the name Jesus Christ until he became human. What was he before he was human? So knowing that John's talking about Jesus here when he says the word, that clears things up a little bit, but in another way, it makes things even more confusing. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And those two verses are almost identical between the King James and the New American Standard. The only difference here is that the last line in the New American Standard says he was in the beginning with God instead of the same was in the beginning with God. Let's see if the Living English Translation can help us out. It says, Before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He has always been alive and is himself God. So the Living Translation completely replaces the title that John's given Christ to avoid some confusion, and it reads a lot easier, but it hasn't done anything about an obvious problem here. How can Jesus, or the Word as John calls him, how can he be God and be with God at the same time? Let's try the Amplified Bible. In the beginning, and then in brackets fully from the original Greek, it says, before all time, was the Word, and in parentheses it says Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God himself. He was present originally with God. Okay, folks, let's pick up our marbles and look at them carefully to see what we've got here. John is giving Christ the title, the Word, here, because he's talking about him in his pre-fleshly state who he was before he became human and was given the name Jesus Christ and given the title the Son of God. That much we can understand, but what was he before he was human? These two verses indicate that he's always been around even before the creation. He was there with God when God was creating the universe. But the curveball that gets thrown in there is the last part of verse 1 where it says, The Word was God himself. 
But then just before that, in the same verse, it says the word was with God. An English teacher would have a field day with this. It sounds like double talk. This isn't the only place in the Bible that this phenomenon takes place, folks. It's ironic that John would start his account all the way back to the creation because this strange phenomenon first shows up in the creation scenario in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in the original Hebrew, the word for God used there is Elohim. It's a plural word. The singular word for God in Hebrew is Eloah. But all throughout the creation scenario in Genesis, the word Elohim is used. But the sentence structure in the original Hebrew is in the singular. So here we have this language conflict showing up again. Is God one or is he more than one? Make up your mind. And if it just happened once, folks, you might be able to overlook it as some kind of typo, but it's that way all throughout Genesis chapter 1. Every time it says God said this or God did that, the sentence structure addresses God as one. It's in the singular. But the word used for God is Elohim, which is in the plural. But when you get to verse 26, when God creates the first humans, it says God said, let us make mankind in our image. Who's our? Who's us? John chapter 1 tells us, it says, In the beginning before all time was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was present originally with God. And then verse 3 says, All things were made and came into existence through him. And without him was not even one thing made that has come into being. So Jesus, before he became a man, was with God, even before the creation, and then during the creation. But once again, here comes the double talk. Then it says all things were made by Jesus. And without Jesus was not even one thing made that has come into being. How could Jesus be God and be with God at the same time? How can Jesus be the creator and be with the creator? A knee-jerk reaction here would be to assume that obviously there's more than one God. But in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, God says, quote, I am the Lord and there is no one else. There is no God besides me. So that settles that. Until you find out that Elohim is used there for God again. You can't get away from it, folks. It's a crazy phenomenon that stares you down right in the face. Fortunately, we have the benefit of modern science to help explain this phenomenon. The reason why this is confusing to us, folks, is because we're only three-dimensional beings who are trying to understand the physical nature of a being who is more than three dimensions. There are more spatial dimensions than the first three, and scientists call them hyperspaces or hyperdimensions. The concept of hyperspaces or hyperdimensions first appeared in the world of science during the late 1890s. It was later developed during the early 1900s, and you can find all kinds of scientific journals and articles about this all over the net. Just Google Hypercube and prepare to have your brain overloaded. A hyperdimensional space is hard for us to imagine because we don't move in more than three dimensions, but we are aware of them mathematically. One way to attempt to understand the difference between a hyperdimensional space and a three-dimensional space is to try to imagine how confusing the second story of a building would be 
to a man who only exists in two dimensions. We'll call him Mr. Flat. He could get to rooms all around him on the first floor, but using a staircase or an elevator to get to the second floor would be something that he can't comprehend because it would require movement within the third dimension, something he can't do. Something else that would confuse him would be a box, because a box is an object that's more than two dimensions. A box in his presence would look like a flat square. If I tried turning it around so he could see all sides of it, he'd think the flat square was morphing into another flat square. If I moved it upwards and then moved it back down in front of him, to him, it would disappear and then reappear. Because by my moving it up or down, I'd be moving it in a dimension he doesn't share. So if God is above or independent of our three-dimensional space-time domain, and that's the premise since we know he created the universe, then it follows logically that he would have to be more than three dimensions. And if he were to stand right in front of me, only three of his dimensions would be visible to me because I'm only a three-dimensional person. I wouldn't be able to see all of it. And if he were to move in dimensions above the first three, I wouldn't be able to see him at all. But he'd still be there. And that's just if he were more than three dimensions. If he were more than ten dimensions, he'd be able to stand in front of me and millions of other people simultaneously, and none of us would see him. But he'd still be there. So we don't know how many spatial dimensions God shares, but we do know it's more than three, and probably more than ten, making him hyperdimensional. How a three-dimensional man of 2,000 years ago describe on paper something that's more than three dimensions? And how would readers intellectually react to the concept of something that's more than three dimensions? To find out, let's go back to the two-dimensional man and address his confusion over the three-dimensional box. Let's say, while I'm showing Mr. Flat this three-dimensional cube, I made an attempt to explain to him what it was. How would that go down, since all he can understand are flat squares? He's never even heard the word cube before. So when I show it to him and tell him that he's looking at a cube, all he knows is that the word cube must be just another word for square, because all he sees is a square. The other five squares of the cube are invisible to him. So I turn the cube around to show him a different side of it. But then he'd say, wow, it's another cube. And then I'd say, no, Mr. Flat, you're still looking at the same cube. And then he'd say, well, how can that be? I see a different square. And then I'd say, well, it is a different square, but it's still the same cube. And then he'd say, huh? Then after turning the cube around four more times to show him all six sides of it, he'd really be confused. I just saw six different cubes. No, you didn't, Mr. Flat. You saw one cube. What you mean to say is that you saw six different squares. Well, yeah, that's what a cube is, isn't it? A square? No. No, Mr. Flat, a cube is a cube. But it's made up of six squares. So now Mr. Flat is really confused. So he goes away, talks about all of this to all of his two-dimensional buddies, and they get into a huge debate and wind up intellectually separating into groups. Group 1 is so baffled by the concept that they refuse to acknowledge there's only one cube. They say, well, if you saw six squares, buddy, then there has to be six cubes. That's all there is to it. There can't be one cube. That doesn't make any sense. 
Group 2 says, no, 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 no. He just thinks he saw six squares. If the cube is only one cube, then it's only one square. It can't be six squares at the same time. That doesn't make any sense. Group 3 sides with Mr. Platt and says, look, we can't understand the physics of the cube because it exists in a higher dimension than we do. The cube is a single cube, just like Mr. Platt said. But it's also six different squares. Let's call it the hexinity nature of the cube. That may not be something any of us can understand, but at least our terminology will be accurate. I don't know how six squares can be one cube, but it is. Does any of this sound familiar? Over and over again, the Bible stresses the importance of understanding that there is only one God, that he himself is one God. But with our three-dimensional thinking getting in the way, God appears to be three individuals, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, hyperspaces isn't a concept that was understood scientifically until the early 1900s. But the Bible was completed almost 2,000 years ago, so Christianity has had almost 2,000 years to come up with all kinds of labels for this phenomenon. The most popular label to date is the Trinity. The word Trinity doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible, folks. It's just a word that came about to help three-dimensional man trying to get his mind around the apparent hyper-dimensional attributes of God recorded in the Bible. Now, to me, that's further evidence of the Bible being reliable. Because when man makes up a God for his own religion, he invents a God he can get his mind around and understand. Only the Bible records God as being one God with three persons a hyperdimensional concept that wasn't available to our puny little minds until the 20th century. When Mr. Flat tried to describe the cube he saw to his two-dimensional buddies, he probably told them that the six squares were with the cube and the six squares were the cube. He would say it like that because to the two-dimensional man, a flat square is a whole thing. It's complete. He can't imagine it being the piece of something else in a higher dimension. So saying that the six squares were with the cube, that helped him and his buddies get the idea that each square was unique, and yet those six flat two-dimensional squares in a higher dimension make up one single cube. So when you think about this, it brings a whole lot to the table on these first verses in John. Because John, like you and me, was a three-dimensional man. But he's talking about one who is more than three dimensions. 